or something. That was side one of Waiting for the Electrician or someone like him. That was uh, Le Trent Huit Cuiganeau. Yeah, it's French. Before that, W.C. Fields Forever. Before that, little interlude from the Black Elk Lodge singers doing the Flintstones theme. And we uh, then we had, before that, we had temporarily Humboldt County. Started out with the Bonzo Dog Band doing Sport, the odd boy who doesn't like sport. Let me turn you up there, Dick. Should be on? All right. Am I on? I'm on number three. Then I'm turning it over to you. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Andrew. And uh, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is uh, Dick Whaley, and my partner Jim Dwyer tonight has some family uh, obligations that necessitate him not being here. So uh, we'll look forward to him next week. Uh, Not too much to comment about sports, but... Let's just hope that the Wings can uh, take complete command of the series tonight in Dallas. And uh, I think that last game might have been one of the most dominant two-to-one games I've ever seen. So we'll see what happens. In any event, uh, uh, predictions, of course, on last week's uh, primaries came true. I guess we'll start off first of all with the... uh, Continuing tragedy in Burma, and of course uh, today it was revealed that a very powerful earthquake hit China uh, near one of their larger cities, uh, not Shanghai or Beijing, but uh, oh, in the Sichuan uh, province, and of course uh, (laughs) all of us that have enjoyed Chinese food over the year are familiar with Sichuan because that's the the hot and spicy uh, style of cooking. Lots of hot peppers. And, of course, this is an agricultural area and a minor uh, minor industrial part, but not a major exporting part. I thought it was interesting watching some of the coverage on uh, CNBC today um, regarding uh, the situation in China. And, of course, all of the analysts were, were very eager to to note that this part of China is only involved in something like 3 to 4% of the exports so that it would not be a major consequence on the uh, world economy. Interestingly, by the way, in the most recent uh, Nation magazine, um, Danny Schechter, who uh, is known as News Dissenter, or excuse me, News Dissector, the executive editor of Media Channel and the director of a film, In Debt We Trust, notes uh, that according to Monroe Mendelssohn Research, the typical CNBC viewer has a net worth of $2.7 million with an average income of $156,000. Nielsen puts the CNBC's home viewer income at $73,000 compared with the average cable viewer's income of $48,000. So uh, the fact that they uh, obviously um, cater to a, a much wealthier uh, demographic is interesting in and of itself, but uh, certainly is not, uh, I, I don't think, uh, shall we say, dispositive regarding the quality of, of the news that they do. Uh, I, of course, tune in from time to time for 
perspectives on uh, the American markets and what's going on globally. And I think that they uh, have a fairly interesting, lively uh, presentation of economic news. But uh, rarely uh, do they have, uh, (laughs) shall we say, left-wing critics of uh, the free trade uh, system or the capitalist market or whatever. So it was interesting to watch some of their perspective today on this Chinese earthquake. And I think it'll be interesting to see how, in the upcoming weeks, uh, the Chinese government confronts uh, this disaster. I think that one prediction that I can make... uh, without uh, fail, is that it will be far more responsive than this uh, military junta in Burma, um, which we may as well just give them a brain damage award to. I mean, this, uh, this cyclone that hit Burma, this, uh, this could be a catastrophe of, of 100,000 dead when it's all said and done. Uh, and what they're uh, dilly-dallying about is, is, is incomprehensible to me. Uh, a BBC analyst last night put it pretty well. He's, said that the uh, Burmese regime was more concerned about containing the news than uh, providing relief to the beleaguered people in that region. And uh, this uh, catastrophe that hit Burma a couple weeks ago is just uh, staggering in in its scope. But the other prediction that I will make regarding the Chinese government's response, and part of this, of course, is probably... uh, due to the fact that the Olympics are upcoming there. Um, the, uh, it'll certainly be, be more responsive than the Bush administration's uh, uh, response to the uh, Katrina events uh, back in uh, 2005. So, uh, you know, be, be prepared for well over 10, maybe 20, maybe 30,000 deaths. I mean, this, is a, this was a serious earthquake. I mean, if you can imagine a 7.9 earthquake hitting the United States, this is comparable, by the way, to the 1906 San Francisco earthquake that's been estimated to be 8.0 on the Richter. And I've heard either 7.8 or 7.9, but this is a major, major earthquake here. Uh, in terms of the significance of the seismic uh, measurement. So uh, let's uh, hope that the Burmese government uh, gets their act together uh, because uh, the situation there is catastrophic, and uh, one can only uh, reiterate that they deserve a brain damage award for... uh, having virtually no response. And in comparison, the Chinese government, uh, from what I've seen of, you know, the brief uh, pictures that I've seen on cable TV and whatnot, um, appear to be, uh, you know, appear to have mobilized the military and uh, are doing what is uh, what is required in this sort of a, a tragic event. Uh, obviously, uh, Our predictions last week about the Democratic primary proved once again to be fairly accurate. It's not too difficult, by the way, to make these predictions uh, regarding the Democratic primaries because um, the demographic breakdown between the Clinton voter and the Obama voter uh, remain fairly uh, similar uh, from state to state. And... um, 
the notion that you know Obama is somehow in trouble because he's he's only getting forty nine, forty one, or thirty nine, or forty percent of the so called white male vote, I don't think is is that serious. Um, but I do think that the analysis of uh, the bifurcation on the race issue, as well as the age issue, um, is indicative of the failure of the media to understand a voter that, quote, stays home versus a voter that switches to McCain. Uh, A voter that switches to McCain is obviously far more damaging than a voter that stays home. And uh, I thought that considering the uh, the uh, the racial makeup of the electorate in uh, North Carolina that that Hillary actually did better than one might have imagined um, the totals there were more analogous to Alabama rather than Georgia and uh, Georgia and Virginia were uh, two of Obama's most impressive wins in this uh, rather interesting primary season and uh, needless to say, Hillary should win West Virginia tomorrow rather decisively. But uh, as the saying goes, it's probably too little too late. And Obama will probably uh, wrap things up, mathematically speaking, so to speak, uh, in Oregon uh, next week. Uh, Kentucky will be probably much closer and probably similar to Indiana uh, in its... Uh, Oh, basic breakdown. I can see Hillary winning Kentucky narrowly. Uh, This was a state, by the way, that Bill Clinton did pretty well in uh, in his two runs for the White House. And I thought it was always interesting to observe the Clinton fundamental strategy, the Bill Clinton fundamental strategy when he ran for president. He did a very good job of working the Mississippi River and the Ohio River. Uh, what I've always been uh, have, have found striking about America, the breakdown between the red-blue dichotomy that the media talk about, is how water is the predictor of how people vote. If you're near water or close to water, even in red states, you seem to vote blue. If you're nowhere near water, you seem to vote red. And I think that this will this trend will continue. This, of course, explains why the uh, recent Democratic uh, nominees have done well on the Pacific Coast, the Atlantic Coast, New England, around the Great Lakes, and along this interesting area of the Mississippi and Ohio River. And I think that it was a very good strategy of the Clinton campaign back in the 1990s when they, I think, briefly realigned uh, the electoral map uh, in favor of the Democrats partially because Al Gore and, and Bill Clinton were from, uh, shall we say, toss-up states. Um, they had some regional strength uh, regarding Arkansas and Tennessee. But it was also the strategy employed in working these two rivers. Um, a little less successful, I might add, along the Missouri. But uh, I've, I've always found it interesting when you look at the even the congressional breakdown of uh, votes in the last several elections, how the proximity to water is a very good indicator of how an area of the United States will go, uh, including even, as I said, in some of these red states. And, of course, Newt Gingrich is back in the news, and we'll briefly uh, give him a brain damage award. We always called him uh, 
that the, the Newt Gingrich bears a striking resemblance to the big boy uh, man, you know, the man with the burgers and the big belly. He looks just like him, only, of course, he uh, was prematurely gray, and he still looks like big boy. So uh, we'll give him a, uh, a brain damage award um, for uh, issuing a, quote, plea to the Republicans, which was uh, published last week. On the website of the periodical Human Events, he, of course, is alarmed at the fact that in recent special elections, uh, one was in Louisiana and one was in Mississippi, um, or actually, I guess the one in Mississippi is, is coming up, um, but if the Republicans lose this election, uh, this will indicate uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt that they really are in trouble uh, in this uh, very significant election. Uh, I think that clearly Obama and, because uh, I'm pretty much writing him in as the nominee of the Democratic Party, um, clearly there's very stark differences between him and McCain. You know, Obama is, of course... Uh, Mixed heritage, tall, good-looking in a suit, lanky, African-American. Um, John McCain is an old, white-haired man who's very short. Uh, got, seems to have a kind of a short temper. There's been a lot of discussion about that. And uh, we've even seen uh, Cindy McCain uh, showing a little bit of a temper recently regarding the, uh, her failure to reveal uh, her tax returns. Um, she says she's not going to do it because it's a privacy issue. Well, I thought Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky was a bit of a privacy issue. Um, I think that it's essential that she issue her tax returns, not because I am terribly interested in how much money she makes as the heiress of a, a beer distributor, but uh, how much money has she funneled into John McCain's various campaigns over the years? That might be uh, very interesting information for the public. And I suspect that eventually the public, uh, this issue will not go away and she'll be forced to do so. Uh, after all, uh, Teresa Hines Carey uh, had to release her tax information eventually. And uh, she was uh, the, the, the spouse of a deceased uh, heir to the Hines ketchup fortune. Uh, she possessed something like half a billion dollars in money and property and assets, etc. And, of course, the tax ref uh, returns revealed that she was a wealthy woman, but uh, nothing untoward regarding um, money uh, given to John Kerry. But anyway, uh, Newt Gingrich in, uh, in this little... Uh, lecture to the Republican Party, um, said, quote, this plan, and he's talking about a plan to, uh, I don't know, prevent huge Republican losses that I think are on the horizon, said, quote, this plan should involve real change in legislative communications and campaign strategy and involve immediate real action, including a complete overhaul of the Congressional Campaign Committee. 
He continues, either congressional Republicans are going to chart a bold course of real change or they are going to suffer decisive losses this November. And Gingrich signed this, your friend, Newt Gingrich. Well, John McCain, I'm sure, can call him my friend since he calls everybody my friends. Um. But I'm a little unclear. I mean, you know, I agree that the Republicans need to offer bold change, but there's nothing anywhere in any Republican campaign that I can think of in which bold change is advocated. Um, They, of course, are running on the status quo. They are running with this um, incredibly unpopular president. He's... he's, uh, He's down in the in the upper 20s. He's uh, now actually surpassed Nixon in terms of uh, prolonged unpopularity. And recently, of course, there was a right track, wrong track. And it's been noted, more voters think the country is on the wrong track, and I'm quoting Frank Rich here from a recent column, 81% than at any time in the history of the New York Times CBS polling. Tax, gas tax holidays are not going to do the job. Um, We even have information, just to continue on these humongous problems that the Republican Party have, and they have become, unfortunately, the, the party of old white men, grumpy old white men. I think that was a movie. Um, and they don't have uh, any ideas regarding bold change. They're, they're actually trying to prevent change from happening as we speak. Uh, we've seen it with veto threats from Mr. Bush. We've seen it with obstructionism uh, in, in the Congress, for instance, to deal with, say, mortgage relief. Um, we now have a survey out, for instance, that showed that just 19% of Americans— which is interesting because it's the exact reflection of the 81% who uh, think America is on the wrong track. Just 19% of Americans are going to use their tax rebate uh, check um, to go on, quote, a shopping spree. Uh, Most are going to pay down debt, deal with uh, their gas, uh, increased gas expenses, their increased food expenses. And incidentally, this catastrophe in China, this earthquake, could have even more impact on uh, grain and food prices because this is a major agricultural producing region for China. The earthquake in China once again emphasizes the fact that civilizations, countries, the nation state and whatnot, these are the kind of real problems that countries have to deal with. Um, China is not uh, in Iraq. They don't have military bases and 940 places around the, the globe. I recently saw a rather interesting debate uh, between some Air Force um, retired Air Force generals regarding the new um, cargo plane that the American military is planning on building, a behemoth of, of, of a plane. 
And, of course, the critics of this plane note that uh, it's so big and heavy there are many uh, military bases around the world that America has established over the years where uh, it will be unable, unable to land logistically. It's too heavy. It will rip up the, uh, the, uh, the tarmac, so to speak, the, the airport runway. And, of course, the supporters of the Northrop Grumman uh, cargo concept, and I think they were competing with Boeing, as I recall. There's a, there's a big debate about this. Uh, still going on in the Congress because the Air Force is elected to go with the bigger, heavier plane. And uh, needless to say, the supporters of Boeing are arguing that uh, too many of these jobs will go abroad as a result of their decision. Um, So uh, the decision is not yet final, final, but it seems to be relatively final, maybe kind of like the primaries. So you begin to wonder about America's priorities uh, in the upcoming years. Uh, you, you have to be concerned, for instance, when you see data showing a continuing upward trend in uh, jobless uh, claims for people filing for unemployment for the first time. Uh, just a month ago, you know, the, the brief headline is jobless filings at highest level since 2004. It's got a nice little chart uh, dating back to uh, October of, uh, of last year showing that the uh, initial claims for unemployment have basically gone from about 310,000 to over 400,000. This is uh, weekly uh, filings for, for new uh, jobless benefits. We should also reiterate, by the way, that, that George Bush, uh, during the first term of his presidency, had the worst job creation performance uh, since the Great Depression. And it was fascinating to discover Uh, as I looked at an old uh, news article about this, that by creating, quote, 146,000 jobs in January of 2005, um, George Bush was able to generate a net gain of 119,000 jobs for his entire first term. One may be suspicious of that number (laughs) since... uh, if there hadn't been 146,000 jobs created in January of 2005, uh, George Bush would have gone down as the first president since Herbert Hoover to have a net job loss on his watch. I mention this number, of course, because uh, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, these were uh, years when the... uh, the, the subprime problems were just getting going. And many of the jobs that were being created, by the way, were in the housing market, um, which we now know is vastly overbuilt. And this is one of the reasons we have an amazing supply of housing out there with no buyers and no prospect of any buyers anytime soon. 
Also, we have more information about the uninsured. Um, the uninsured population in America, as recently as 2006, is around 45 million. Well, a recent supplement to the Columbia Journalism Review compares America's health care system uh, to the rest of the world. And guess what? America has slipped to last amongst 19 different countries. We hear a lot of criticism from the Republican Party, the party that Newt Gingrich urges to come up with real change in the legislative communications and campaign strategy uh, when none is forthcoming whatsoever, no change. Um, we, we hear that France and Canada have terrible health systems. In fact, France finishes number one. Uh, and by the way, the French, for the record, eat more saturated fat and smoke much higher, uh, at much higher rates than Americans do. They also consume more alcohol. Um, in comparing six nations, and I'm quoting here from this health policy reform supplement to the Columbia Journalism Review, the March-April edition, which is uh, entitled Health Policy Reform Beyond the 2008 Elections. It compares um, Australia, Canada, Germany, New Zealand, the uh, UK, and the United States. The United States is either fifth or sixth in every single category except right care. Its overall ranking is sixth, i.e. last of those six countries that I just mentioned. Its uh, quality of care is fifth. Its safe care is sixth. Coordinated care, fifth. Patient-centered care, fifth. Access, sixth. Efficiency, sixth. Equity, sixth. Healthy lives, sixth. It's last in everything except the category of right care, which I'm assuming is... Uh, the diagnosis. Instead, we hear myths that health care is rationed uh, in Canada and France and that people have to wait in long lines. Well, have you ever been to the uh, U of M emergency room recently? Got to wait in long lines over there. Of course, health care has to be rationed <laughs> at times. Uh, and, and what are you going to do when you have these just absolutely phenomenal numbers of uninsured. Do you realize that 42% of all Americans aged 19 to 64 are uninsured during the year and that the percentage of insured for the entire year is 16%? That's adults. That's all Americans. Um, we have a health care crisis in this country, but you wouldn't know that by listening to the campaign this year. I don't know why the health care to, uh, you know, the health care debate has, has um, been so absent. Um, 
but it has. Another interesting problem that has recently cropped into the, 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 uh, the debate, the public debate re- in recent weeks is ethanol. Um, this, of course, is a massive government subsidy. Uh, the beneficiaries of the ethanol subsidies are going mainly to agribusiness in the mi- Midwest. Um, last year's energy bill required that $36 billion of biofuels be produced annually by 2020. Of that 36 billion gallons, 21 would be, quote, advanced biofuels that are still mostly in experimental stages, meaning this is the the switchgrass theory that Bush talked about in one of his States of the Union recently. Um, wood chips, that sort of thing, the methanol. But th- this is a complicated chemical problem that is still in the research phase of, of development. It's nowhere to be, it's not yet there. Um, one quick way, by the way, to boost ethanol production in America would be to start importing sugar from Cuba. Oh, but we have a trade embargo with them, and we are the advocates of free trade. And, of course, the rest of the world is alarmed at the fact that America subsidizes its farmers at the highest rate of any nation on the planet while it talks endlessly about free trade. And, by the way, the New York Times in in a recent uh, editorial notes that... um, the mandate regarding ethanol essentially amounts to a 51-cent subsidy uh, that, of course, was concocted back when ethanol was, was a minor problem. Well, we've seen this ethanol as the solution to our, our uh, energy problems create increased food costs globally for all these grains— And, of course, part of this is the speculation going on in our so-called free market capitalist system. Makes you wonder about uh, the wisdom of promoting ethanol as some sort of panacea for the uh, increased uh, costs that have been associated with food. And needless to say, this this food problem, um, as I just mentioned, could get significantly worse depending on the actual a total devastation from the uh, earthquake that just occurred in China. This week, um, of course, we're going to get a lot of um, chit-chat and uh, media focus on the fact that the 60th anniversary of Israel uh, is uh, near upon us. And... uh, I've been reading a an outstanding book entitled 1967 Israel the War and the Year that Transformed the Middle East by Tom uh, Segev who uh, apparently has been a longtime columnist at Haaretz. Um for general uh, history readers 
Uh, I would urge you to read this book. I think this is a very balanced approach to the 67 war. I think it's got a lot of interesting um, stuff in it. It's not overly academic um, because he presents the, the a sort of an ongoing di- 